of 21 days of prayer. And we've been meeting here at 7 o'clock every night, and we've been hooking up with video with really hundreds of churches all over the country uh, praying together. And it's really fun, you know, that might sound intimidating, you know, hour of prayer, what are we going to do? Well, the first 15 or 20 minutes we're singing and we're having a devotion together. And the last 15 minutes we're kind of doing the same. So you really have about 25 minutes where music is playing and we've got worship guides to help you pray through some things. We have worship cards all up here across the front where people are putting in their prayer requests that we're praying over. And I really believe uh, that God answers prayer. And uh, already this week we've heard some, not just like, little prayer requests answered. We've heard some big, big answers to prayer already as the result of this week. You don't want to miss it. So if you've not been out yet, I just encourage you to come. Uh, It's a great time. Um, So that's it on that. I I like to start a little bit lighter. And so uh, there was this guy that uh, he died and went to heaven and he was at at, at the gate and he he saw St. Peter and St. Peter uh, said, you know what? He said, I, I, I can't let you in here. He said, there's really nothing bad on your list, but, but there's nothing good either. There's nothing good. He said, can, can you help me out? Is there anything you've good you've done? He goes, actually, yes. He said, he said in, in fact, he said there was a lady. She was uh, driving down the road, and uh, <clears throat> I, I saw her pulled over, and a biker gang was surrounding her. And so I stopped my car. I got out and went to the trunk. I got a tire iron, and I went over there, and I pushed my way through those biker gangs, and I said, if, if you're going to get this lady, you're going to have to go through me. And St. Peter said, man, that is impressive. He said, when did that happen? He said, actually about three minutes ago. <laughs> You'll get it later. All right. <clears throat> I, I am real excited about this series that we're doing right now. This is the first Sunday of it called Contagious, uh, and there, there's some reasons that we're doing it now, but my mother, if my mother could see me now, she would be so proud of me. I mean, she would be so proud of me because, because she had three boys, and she nicknamed us John the Beloved, my older brother, Paul the Apostle, and Philip the Evangelist. Philip the Evangelist, and I've never really preached on evangelism and how to share our faith, and this is like my mom's dream come true. Would you guys mind if I just call my mom right now and just tell her what I'm doing? Would that be okay if I just call my mom right now? I know that she'd be really proud of me uh, for preaching this message. You guys talk amongst yourselves or something. I've got to tell my mom what's going on here. Just a second here. Okay, Mom, answer the phone. What? She is? Oh, I'm calling my wife. No wonder. That's hilarious. That is hilarious. Uh, I'm calling my You should have answered the phone, Mel. We could have talked. Anyway, let's try this one. Maybe this will work. Oh, Mom, Mom, Mom. Okay. My mom's in Illinois. I don't get to see her very often. So, hello, mom. Well, hey, mom, how are (laughs) you? Yeah, I am in church. Actually, I'm actually getting ready to preach here. Can I put you on speakerphone? All right, great. 
Okay. Hey, everybody, this is my mom. Can you say hi, mom? Hi, everybody. Yeah, hey, mom, you're, ne- you're never going to believe what I'm doing this morning. You know, you named me Philip the Evangelist, and I kind of hated that growing up, but uh, I'm actually preaching on evangelism. Can you believe it? You're not surprised. Why are you not surprised? Well, uh, you know, just yesterday I was thinking about you, and I remember the first time I caught you evangelizing. Do you remember who it was? You know, I, I, yeah, this, by the way, none of this was pre-planned, but I know what she's going to say. Go ahead. What, the babysitter? Yep, the babysitter. That's right. I I think she was a PTA president. You were trying to convince her that there's only one God. Yep, that's right. I remember that, Mom. Thanks for bringing that up in front of my whole congregation. All right, thank you very much, Mom. Hey, uh, have a great day. Hey, do you remember that time we had that evangelist come to our church and we had a bunch of people get saved? And I said, "What did I say? What did I say uh, to my to you guys?" Pretty soon we're going to run out of sinners. Pretty soon we're going to run out of sinners. That's right. Absolutely. Anyway, Mom, I'll be home at Christmas. Make sure you make that tea ring for me, okay? Uh, all right, I love you. Thanks, Mom. Bye. Thanks for letting me do that, guys. Yeah, I knew that Mom would be proud of that. She just turned 80 years old, and she went up in a hot air balloon. Isn't that pretty cool? So anyway, um, you know, as a, as a kid, I was kind of into that, sharing my faith. But as I got older, I kind of disdained that. I kind of hated. In fact, I, I, I don't, if I, let's just, full disclosure here, I don't really like evangelists. You, you, at least the stereotypical evangelist, you know, that stands up and says, if you were to die tonight, where would you spend eternity? You know, that, that always kind of drove me crazy. And, or you go to the bathroom and you find tracks. How many know what I'm talking about, you know? And there's tracks in the bathroom. Or I love the ones where people are rude to the waitress and then they leave her a track. Isn't that a great one, you know? So evangelism has kind of always, always sort of, sort of turned me off. Um, but I'm really excited about this series for a couple of reasons. One is I've really come to re-understand what uh, sharing our faith is all about. Another reason I'm excited about it is because back at Easter we did a survey where we asked you, what is it that you would like to learn in church? What are, what are the topics that you would like to discuss? The number one topic that you brought up is that you would like to learn how to share your faith. Isn't that interesting? And I've never done, a, never done a topic on that, but that was the number one thing that you said. Another reason that I'm excited about this is, is that the fall of the year, typically in churches, is the greatest time of growth. That churches grow more in the fall than they do at any time. It's, it's funny how seasons work, but just like there's seasons in the natural, there's seasons in God's kingdom, and it just seems like the fall Just like there's a harvest of corn and wheat and all that, there's more of a harvest of souls that happens. People are going back to school. They're kind of getting their minds and gear to to get back in a a rhythm of life. And and people come to church. And so this is going to be a great way to sort of prepare us for the fall. And in conjunction with this, this is going to be a five-week series. On the sixth week, we're going to have a friend day where we're going to practice what we preach and we're going to just encourage people to bring as many friends as you can. And that's going to be on September the 16th. 
And so I'm going to encourage everyone to do that. We're going to make the day fun. We're going to have food. We're going to have all kinds of things for kids to do. It's going to be great. It's going to be amazing. So I'm going to be encouraging us. You're going to be hearing about that for the next six weeks, that we're going to have a friend day. And we're going to, I'd like to blow it out more than Easter, that, that we just see this place filled both services. By the way, we're in August. It's already getting full in August. Thank God for that. Amen. I'm thankful for that. Amen. So we're going to talk about sharing our faith and sharing our faith verbally because a lot of us kind of just want to use the comp out, well, I'll just live my life and that'll be enough. I'll live my life in a good life. There, there, there's, a, there's a quote that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi where he said, uh, preach the gospel wherever you go and if necessary, use words. The only problem with that is no one can really find that Francis of Assisi actually said that. And St. Francis of Assisi was famous for talking to everybody about Jesus. He would go to parties of rich people and, and talk to them about Jesus. When he was walking on the street, he would talk to people about Jesus. He's often pictured with birds. You'll see uh, St. Francis with birds. The reason is, is because they said about St. Francis, he would even preach to the animals. Anybody that would listen, he would, he would talk. So, so I want to talk about verbally sharing our faith, not just not just uh, living the life, but actually sharing the faith. Um, I remember my, ki- my parents were church planters, and we were kids. We only had one way of sharing our faith. The Mormons still do it today, door knocking. You'd go out and knock on people's doors and invite them to church. I, I still have this horror of me and my brother going, uh, and we were assigned together. We knocked on a door, and my brother, as soon as we knocked, he abandoned ship, ran into the bushes, and left me standing there <laughs> at the door. That's my picture of evangelism that I've never, that I've never uh, really gotten over. But the scripture that I want to kind of use as our theme says this, always be prepared to give an answer to uh, everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have in you. And then I love this. But do it with gentleness and respect. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lives in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Why should we care about this? Why should we share our faith? And this is huge, folks. We should share our faith because the consequences are eternal. I think a lot of times we spend our lives not being aware of the fact that there is a real, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. There is a judgment day coming, and we are just in that little joke that I said, we're going one place or the other. There's only two choices of where we're going to spend eternity. It's going to be with God and in His presence, or it's going to be away from God. So if you're taking notes, by the way, if you're a guest here in our worship guides, there's a place to take notes. And after church, if you want to uh, get a free free three ring binder out there that's punch old, you can have the binder and you can continue to add to it as the weeks go on. So so because the consequences are eternal. Matthew 25, 46 says about the unsaved, they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The stakes are high. This is not just a casual thing that we're doing here. The stakes are I, I think sometimes we live as, as, as functional universalists. 
Universalism says that everyone's going to be saved. And though we would say we don't believe that, I think sometimes we function like that because we need to be aware that unless people come to know the Lord, they're going to spend eternity apart from God. So the consequences are high. Amen. Number two is because the commission is for all believers. The commission. What am I talking about? The commission. The great commission. The great commission in Matthew 28, 19 said, Therefore go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. These were Jesus' last words on earth. Last words are often your most important thing that you want to leave people with. What is it that I want you to know? Now, now as I'm leaving earth, here's what I want you to do. And he wasn't talking to preachers. He was talking to all of his followers. And he said, I want you to go and make disciples everywhere. Preach the gospel, one one passage says, to every creature. Number three is because Jesus cares for the lost. Jesus loves lost people. By the way, you came to a church this morning that exists, not for the church. We exist for people outside of the church. And, 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 And Jesus came not for those that were already well. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. Those that are whole don't need a physician, but those that are sick, the Scripture says. He came for people who were lost. The, whole, the, the, the great parable of the, of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son are all about the fact that you matter to God and lost people matter to God. I, when, when, when I was a, a kid, this same brother who ran away from me, he had a tendency to run away. He ran away at the zoo, at the zoo. And my parents couldn't find him. They were terrified. They, did, they didn't care about the rest of their kids at that moment. Who did they care about? They cared about the one who was potentially, you know, making his way through the bars of the lion's uh, den. You know what I'm saying? Finally, there was an announcement that came over the loudspeaker that said, there's a little boy here who says his parents are lost. And, uh, and, and my brother was found. But, I, I, but that, was, that is still one of those memories in our family. We remember what it was like when he was lost. And we remember what it was like when he was found. So God cares for lost people. And then the last thing that I want to say is because you were created for this. You see, there's, and when I say that, you say, oh no, Pastor, I'm not this knock-on-doors kind of person. I'm not, the, I'm not either. But there are different styles of evangelism, and we're going to talk about that during this series. There's, there's a confrontational style, which is kind of that style. Uh, Peter did it on the day of Pentecost, where he, where he actually said to his audience there, you killed Jesus Christ. I mean, that's that confront, confrontational style of evangelism. There's an intellectual style of evangelism. The Apostle Paul uh, tended to practice the intellectual style of evangelism. There's an invitational style of evangelism. This, th- these are the people that, that, that just say, come and see. Just, I'm just going to invite you. Just come and see. I'm not going to explain it all to you, but you just got to come and you got to see Andrew in the Bible. Every time you see Andrew, he's introducing somebody to Jesus. You do, I'm not going to tell you all about it. Just come and see. That's the invitational approach. There's a testimonial approach. The testimonial approach says, this is what my life was like before I found the Lord. This is what happened when Jesus found me, and this is what my life has been like since then. That's the testimonial approach. 
And then there's the interpersonal approach. This, this is my predominant approach. And that's friendship evangelism. I just make friends with people. And, 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 and people that get one to Christ almost get, do so by accident with me. It's just because, because we become friends and, and they find out what I love and, and, and what I care about. And eventually, uh, often they want to, to be a part of that. And then there's a serving evangelism. That's, that's showing God's love in practical ways. Uh, as a way to evangelize and do it because of Jesus. But the first style that we're going to talk about is the intellectual style, which is the Apostle Paul. So in your Bibles is in Acts chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, it should be up on the screen today. And the Apostle Paul was in the city of Athens. Athens was the intellectual center of, 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 the, of the whole culture of that day. And it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. And he went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. So he was speaking in the public square to all. Now, now, in your notes here, you'll see a section called sharing your faith. The first thing in sharing your faith is that is that it begins with being troubled. The Apostle Paul was troubled at what he saw. One ancient writer said about Greece, it's easier to find a God in Athens than it is to find a person. They had so many idols. They had so many gods that were set up. And when Paul saw it, it troubled him. Can I say that that, that when I moved to Knoxville... One of the things that troubled me is that we say we're the Bible Belt. I'm going to say something maybe controversial. We're not the Bible Belt. We are the Bible Belt in name only. Today, 50% of the people in Knoxville chose to go to church nowhere in the quote-unquote Bible Belt. It troubles me that we think that just because there's a church on every corner that somehow we're okay. We're covered. This culture is okay. And I came to say this morning that I'm concerned that there's two breweries opening for every new church that's opening. That's all I'm saying. I'm just saying that that, that in this culture that we're living in, I'm troubled at what I'm seeing. I have my ear, by the way, to the culture as an Uber driver. I have my ear. I know what's happening in our culture. Don't, don't think I live in an ivory tower and I'm not aware of what's going on. I know, I see, and I am in some ways horrified uh, at what is going on in our culture. It begins with being troubled. He was troubled. And then the Bible said that Paul went from, from, the, from the synagogue to the public square. So it extends, sharing our faith, extends to the public square. It's easy for us to be evangelistic at church. It's a little harder at school, on the job, with our social friends and all those places. That's the place where evangelism took place, where sharing our faith took place. It has to extend to the public square. He also had a debate with some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers. 
When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with all these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said, he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. The Epicureans were pleasure seekers. These were people that were, that were um, uh, basically uh, atheistic. Um, they were pleasure seekers. And he was debating with them. And, and their, their main song was Debbie Boone's song, It Can't Be Wrong If It Feels So Right. How many know what I'm talking about? You light up my life. I'm a little older than some of you. You don't even know. You're like, what's that song? Okay. Anyway, uh, it's just that, that sense that, that if it feels good, if it feels good, if, it, if it's pleasurable to me, then it's right. Let me just say, in our culture, there's a lot of that going on. And the others were the Stoics, and the Stoics saw God in everything. They were pantheists, that, that, God, was, that God was in everything. And they, 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 they were uh, trusted in their reason and in their pride. They were very prideful people. And then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us about this new teaching. This is not in your, in your handouts. There was too much in the handout, so it's up on the screen. Come and tell us about this new teaching. They said... You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know about uh, what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. Can I just say in our culture, we think that if an idea is current, it's the truth. So what's current? What's, uh, what's the latest fad? What's the latest idea? Oh, the culture is getting smarter and smarter all the time. Nobody had any understanding of the truth 50 years ago or 100 years ago or 1,000 years ago. But the latest fad, in Athens they did that. What's the latest truth? What's the latest and greatest? And they would always talk about what's the latest. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed them. As follows, men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. I like this about Paul. He's very polite. He says, I notice that you guys are religion. And he begins with where they are. For I was walking along and I saw many of your shrines and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. To an un- so they had all these gods with names on it. And then there was one God that said to the unknown God. And Paul said, this is the God I want to talk about. uh, This God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one that I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to tell you today about the unknown God. Paul preached a four-point sermon that day. He talked about God as creator. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs. And he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. What he's telling them, these guys would would do things for their idols. They would serve their idols. And Paul's saying, this unknown God, he doesn't need your service. In fact, you need him. God doesn't need us. He created the world and everything in it. And and we're not here to, we're not here to help this God out. We need God for everything. We need him for the air we breathe. We need him for everything. So he talked about God as creator. Then he moves on to God as governor. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He he decided beforehand when they should rise and fall and determine their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of them. 
And so what he was saying is this God is not just transcendent. He's eminent. He's as close as the mention of his name. For in him, now listen to this, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your poets have said, we are his offspring. And then I love this little phrase. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver stone. What Paul did was very powerful there. He said, your poets are saying, in him we live and move and all and have our being and we are his offspring. And Paul said, this is true. As you're taking notes today, you need to write this down. All truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. And and, and let me just say something to, to we believers in Jesus. Sometimes we get intimidated by science or we get intimidated by, by, by the other areas of study. If the other areas of study say something that is true, all truth is God's truth. If something is really true, it's God's truth. And, and, and when, I, when I was growing up, I, I think there was almost a, a feeling that when you went to church, you had to check your brain at the door. You know, so at the church, you know, you, you could be very intellectual and everything, but when you got to the church, everything was based on emotion and not on knowledge. But Paul recognized something very powerful, and that is that all truth is God's truth. My friend Mike, who recently came to the Lord, uh, one of my Uber riders, uh, from Iran. Um, friendship evangelism. He became my friend and invited him to church and, and he's found the Lord and been baptized and all that. Uh, here's, here's a part of the story you don't know. Before I ever talked to him, he is in this field of study that combines psychology with marketing. It kinda, it's kind of the psychology of why people buy things, why they make the decisions they do. And he told me, he said, in our field of study, there is one guy that is like, he said, and this is his words, he is like the God in this field. He is the guru. He is the one that everyone looks to. And his name is Bergazzi. And he teaches at the University of Michigan. And he said, so I was in Iran, and I wrote him a letter about some of the questions I had about our field of study And I couldn't believe this leader of the field, this guy who's so amazing, amazingly knowledgeable, he wrote me back. And he continued to answer my questions. And I wrote him and said, I'm a guy in Iran who's just a lowly student. Why are you answering my questions? And Professor Bogazzi said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is part of... of, uh, this is part of, uh, of what we do as Christians. So, so uh, Professor Bogazzi went further than that. He invited Mike to come to the University of Michigan. Professor Bogazzi pl- paid for his plane fare, put him up in he and his wife's home. He stayed, and this is the week before he meets me. This all happens the week before he meets me. And, and he has him read Les Miserables, which is one of the great works of literature and one of the great Christian works of literature that explains the concept of grace. Already by the time that I got to Mike, 
His heart was softened and he was ready to hear the gospel because of this guy who was like the top of his field had had intellectually been sharing his faith with him. My, my, My daughter's boyfriend in Chicago goes to a church where the head of the astronomy department at the University of Chicago teaches Sunday school. The head of the astronomy department at the University of Chicago. How powerful it is to have people with that kind of education that are also lover of Jesus. You know, throughout history, some of the great inventors, some of the great discoveries were made by people who were people of faith. We don't need to be intimidated, and we don't need to check our brains at the door. The Scripture says to love the Lord your God with all your mind. That we can love Him not just with our hearts, but also with our mind. From one man He created all nations throughout the earth. He decided beforehand that they should rise and fall and determine their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to... uh, I already read that. I'm sorry. Uh, Sharing our faith recognizes all truth is God's truth. Let me get to the end of that. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands people everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed and proved to everyone who this is by the raising from the dead. Sharing our faith always calls for a decision. You, you at some point have to decide what to do with Jesus. He is either a lunatic or he's the Lord. You've got to decide who he is and and, and you've got to bring people to a a crossroads of decision. And when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt, but others said, we want to hear more about this later. And I'll just skip to the end. Uh, Sharing our faith divides believers from unbelievers. Let me just say, if Paul the Apostle didn't win everybody to the Lord, you're not going to win everybody to the Lord. So we share our faith. Some get it. Some won't. He said, among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. They became believers that day, but not everyone became believers. But, but what happens is that sharing our faith separates out those that are believers from unbelievers. And and those who are unbelievers, they may hear later and become believers. So how do we make the case in election? And and let me say this too. I I made kind of a deal about the fact that, that, that we all have different styles. I think we can draw, all of us can draw from all of these styles, but we're going to have one that we're kind of more dominant in. So maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm not, I wouldn't be the intellectual style. Let me just share with you some things that you can do with the intellectual style, maybe if that's your natural one or not. The first one making the case is, is causation. What do I mean by that? Science says that for every effect, there is a cause. That for every effect, there is a cause. And science, quite frankly, struggles when it comes down to creation, because even if you believe the Big Bang Theory, something had to cause it. And one of the ways that you can, you can talk to your scientists, it doesn't prove God's existence to them, 
but challenged them with where did that come from? So it was this matter that came together. and Where did that matter come from? Christians have a, an answer for that. Our answer is in the beginning, God. He is the first cause who always was. We believe in something in Latin, creatio ex nihilo, which simply means creation out of nothing. He spoke it into being. That, that, uh, that, that's it. Well, how could that be? Well, what's your, what's your answer for, for how the Big Bang was caused? I think the biblical answer is an answer that says that, that, that for that effect, there was a cause. Creation. In the book of Romans, Paul was talking to people who didn't have the Bible. And he says, even through creation, God was speaking to you. That you should have known just by... Can I, can I just say this? I really believe that we are natural believers in God and we have to be educated out of it. That naturally when we see creation, we say to ourselves, where did that come from? There's something when we see the beauty of creation that, 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 that the logical, the first answer, the simple answer is that someone created it. For since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Nature itself screams that there's a God. Creation. Conscience. The fact that we have a conscience. (laughs) That people all over the world, without a law being written down, somehow inside know that killing other people is wrong. That there's a conscience which suggests God that there's a God. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it. Even without having heard it. How can they instinctively obey it? Because there's a conscience in them. There's something that God puts inside of us. And then finally, the last thing that we can share with people and um, Autumn, if you want to come back, it's Christ himself. There were, there were 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that predicted the coming of Jesus. They predicted where he would be born. Well, you say, oh, they just wrote that after it happened. No, it was written. The first Greek translation of the Old Testament happened several hundred years before Jesus was even born. Predicted the very place that he would be born. And it predicted that he would be crucified. And when that was written, capital punishment was not a thing. And yet it predicted that this, that this Jesus would be crucified. Over 300 prophecies about Jesus that, that were fulfilled. And then I think one of the most overwhelming arguments about Christ is this. It's, it's, it's that... his disciples, his earliest disciples, didn't just go around saying that he died. They went around saying that he rose again. Now when they said that he rose again, they risked their very lives. If Jesus had not risen, why are you going to put your life on the line and why are you going to say, uh, why are you going to say, uh, no, he didn't, he didn't rise from the dead and just save your own skin? 
because he rose from the dead. And, and, and all of those, all of the initial apostles, except for John, gave their very lives for believing that. Now, does any of that prove Jesus? None of it proves Jesus. But all of it, all of it just gives logical things that point to it, to it, where finally people have to accept it by faith. Interestingly enough, Mike, who I brought up earlier, said that when he was in Iran, he went to a secret screening of the Passion of the Christ. So he watched in a theater full of Muslim people and, and non He was a non-believer, agnostic. Full of a theater, full of it. He said, I watched the movie. He said, and I said to myself, I wish I was a follower of Jesus. And Mike said to me, I believe everyone in that room felt the same way. There's something compelling about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, in sharing our faith, you can use the intellectual approach as one way of sharing our faith. Mostly, if you're here today, maybe you're a seeker. You're not sure yet. But maybe you've heard something today that's made you say, yeah, it does make sense. And maybe today's the day that you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray for us right now. We're just going to ask the Lord to to touch all of us and teach all of us how to share our faith. But for some of you, this may be the day that you just cross the line of faith and say, this is my day. Today I want to move from being a one who questions to one who believes. So Jesus, we just pray right now this prayer and we just confess that we believe that you did live and that you did die and that you did rise again. And we thank you, Lord, that that you loved us so much that you went for us even when we were lost. And we thank you that you care about lost people. You're an awesome God. And we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen, amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time on, on the card that's in your, in your um, uh, worship guide, you can fill out that. In fact, if you're a guest, we would love for you just to fill out that card just so that we know that you're here. And when the offering comes in a few minutes, we'd, we'd love to have a card just to know that you were with us this morning. But I, I, we like to bring home the message. Um, so I'm going to invite us to stand right now. And we're going to sing a song. And while we're singing it, we're going to have communion offered. And there's going to be people at the back that are there to serve you communion. Uh, if you're not part of our church, you are welcome to take from the Lord's table. It's not our table. It's the Lord's table. And when we take the juice, it just is a representation of his blood that was spilled for us. And the cracker is a representation of his body that was broken for us. And it's our way of saying thank you. So maybe you want to pray with somebody. Maybe you just want to spend some time reflecting and praying during this time. Uh, We're going to sing this song again. And any time during the song that you want to, you can go receive communion uh, either in the back or in the front. And uh, we can do that uh, together.
Lord, we thank you for your body that was broken for us, your blood that was spilled for us. We don't take it lightly. In Jesus' name, amen.